Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, presented by STBB. A conversation dedicated to answering your legal questions and a platform where our team of specialist attorneys share their expert advice and legal know-how with South Africans. Right now, we are talking things legal um, and we are talking to tenants and those who are leasing um, residential spaces particularly but I guess uh, we could be talking uh, you know leasing business spaces as well we're going to get some guidance and some words of wisdom from uh, David Ogilvy Thompson who's the director at uh, STBB Um, and really what we are trying to figure out here is uh, just getting to know some basic rights maybe some regulations around things Um, and perhaps even ways of resolving issues and challenges that you might have as a tenant or with your landlord or that you might have as a landlord with your tenants. Um, I'm pretty sure there could be uh, scenarios as well where as a landlord, maybe you are not in the best situation with those that are leasing from you. Um, Good afternoon to you, David. How are you? Uh, good afternoon, Bridget. I'm very well, and good afternoon to your listeners as well. Fantastic. Let's get into uh, the conversation. And I think, uh, you know, when we were having this chat yesterday with my producers, the one brought up a scenario where she was uh, leasing um, an apartment in one of these new gentrified buildings in town, uh, happened to move to a few floors up because she wanted panoramic views of the city. And then she was told that she must pay a second deposit over and above her first deposit because Mm. that first deposit was regarded as a completely separate account. Now, I was gobsmacked um, because I thought, well, surely that can't be right. You're moving a few floors up in the same building, same agency, same everything. And then it just got us thinking about, you know, maybe some of the the issues that tenants might face um, in this tenant uh, landlord relationship and what some of the recourse might be for them. Um, and I think maybe let, let's let's open it there as to what are the rights or what, what does the law say around issues of deposit and monetary transaction between Lisa and, uh, of course, uh, landlord? Yeah, look, I mean, this isn't something new. Uh, this is something that happens quite often in, in the rental space. And uh, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges, you know, facing tenants and landlords landlords alike um, when they're entering into lease agreements. You know, you know, one of one of the biggest things that that I, you know, if I could give some advice to landlords and to tenants alike, although it's not a legal obligation to reduce, um, you know, a residential lease into writing, uh, I, I would most certainly advise that that is done. You know, mm. and and that that is the first sort of starting point when it comes to any contractual relationship between two contracting parties. And mm. at the end of the day, a lease agreement is, is exactly that. You know, it's a contract between a landlord and a tenant or a, or a lessor and a lessee. Yeah. And really, that's, that's, that's going to be your starting point. That's going to be your guide as to the rights and obligations of landlords and tenants. Mm. Uh, and, and, and there, you, we can sort of flesh out and to say, okay, you know, well, you know, this is how much the deposit is going to be. Uh, and this is what the deposit is is potentially going to be used for. You know, mm. um, the deposit needs to be invested in an interest-bearing account, and and really, what what the deposit is, um, sort of just from a general perspective, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, the deposit is supposed to be used or it's supposed to be secured um, or, or, or can I say deposited as security for certain things that could happen mm. possibly within a lease agreement. And, and and some of those things would be, for example, if a tenant causes damage to a property. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about that. It isn't sort of your normal wear and tear. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, it's not it's it's not supposed to be used for things that would normally just happen by virtue of me, you know, being in the property. I'm talking about proper damage to, to property, mm. broken um, kitchen counters, burnt carpets, stains on walls, those kinds of things. Mm. Now, at the end of the lease, what really should happen is that the parties should inspect the property mm-hmm. and they should say, okay, you know, the, these are the defects that have happened uh, or that the, the the tenant has called, I'm going to use X amount from the deposit uh, to, to to fix that. Mm. Um, if 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 there's a balance left over after after all the repairs have been done, that balance together with any interest needs to be refunded to the tenant. Yeah. Um, and and of course, if if the if the deposit isn't enough to cover all the damages. Uh, you know, then we're in a difficult situation where the landlord needs to now have further recourse to a tenant to recover mm. um, the damages to the property that's been caused. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. No. Continue, David. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say one of the other things that a, that a deposit could be used for, um, also, you know, just depending on the wording of the lease agreement, mm. is if at the end of the lease a tenant is in arrears with, for example, consumption charges, water, electricity, or arrear rent. Mm. Um, a, a portion of the deposit could also theoretically be used to, to cover those outstanding amounts. Um, but the primary function of a deposit in a, in a residential lease is really to ensure that the, the, the landlord has enough money to, to cover any damage that has been caused by, by a tenant. Mm. And tell me, in as far as the residential lease, is there a standard um, sort of deposit percentage that must be paid because one finds that you know uh, some leases would tell you that it's one month's rent some will tell you it's two months rent uh, some I've even heard of some people saying it's three months rent which I've often wondered if uh, they're not just using that as a deterrent for you not to actually take up the 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 the, the contract yeah no absolutely and I, and I think what's happening nowadays is is it, just just a, a slight pivot mm. the the in the eviction space you know when it comes to a landlord having to actually evict a tenant from from their property that is becoming harder and harder and harder for landlords to do and and landowners to do mm. so i think i think the negative knock on to that is that landlords are now expecting or asking tenants to pay bigger deposits mm-hmm. so that they have a bit of a buffer when it comes to having to to take formal legal recourse against tenants who aren't paying uh, and who they need to evict. Mm-hmm. But um, to answer your question in short, there isn't a fixed rate or, mm. or a fixed percentage um, that that uh, that a deposit can look like. It, it, it generally operates from lease to lease, mm. uh, from landlord to landlord, uh, and it can range anywhere between, I've seen obviously one month, it can range anywhere up to three months, um, mm-hmm. you know, d- depending on the type of property, the value of the of the rental, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm. We are in conversation with uh, David Ogilvy Thompson. He's the director at uh, STBB, and we're talking uh, issues around uh, perhaps some of your lease agreements as a tenant, or maybe even from the perspective of landlords, if you're having challenges in as far as uh, tenants are concerned. Um, and we're jumping into the conversation by looking at obviously the the monetary exchange. Uh, of the relationship, the transactional side of the relationship by exploring uh, deposits and rents and those kinds of matters. Uh, But feel free to put whatever you want to put on the table. And if uh, David has the capacity to uh, steer our thinking in the right direction, he will absolutely do so. 086-000-2032 is the number that you can call or 061-410-4107. That's our WhatsApp line if you'd like to send through a voice note. Mike, how are you doing? Very well, yourself? We're great, thank you. Go ahead. Good. Um, hi to yourself, obviously. Hi to David. Um, I'm calling in because I, um, I've, uh, I've been a landlord. Uh, I am a landlord. I've been a tenant, obviously. Um, and uh, something that happened to me and my wife, we, we were renting. It was the last cot- uh, place we were ever going to rent from someone. Mm. And the landlord was terrible. This was down in Durban. She, she evicted at short notice other people in other units, um, we had some poor people who came to us and they said, Mike, we've been given three days, you know, term to leave. I said, well, you can't do that, you know, mm. and they, they stayed there. We eventually wound up leaving at the end of our lease and I asked for the deposit back, less anything, obviously, for mm. damages or painting, whatever the case was. And we were assured and assured that the deposit would come back, never did. So we wound up taking this fight to the Department of Human Settlements, mm. uh, which is where we were advised to go. And I think we went there three or four times over a space of six or seven months. Uh, this was a while ago now. Mm. Eventually, you know, her attorney phoned me and said, what do you want? And I just said, just the deposit back, less costs. And we got the money back. Um, but I said to myself, I was not going to give up because this was the last property we were going to rent and then we mm. were going to buy. The, the insight it gave me, me and my wife were sitting there thinking, we've, been, we've now been through the ringer with this woman. Um, it's cost us time, it's cost us off work going there, but it was the principle of the thing. And now new tenants are going to move into this building. They have no idea what mm. this person's like. Um, what, we, what we decided to do, and it, it took a couple of years to set up, is we've started a company, it just launched in July, called mm. Badress. It's online. And it's a place where tenants and landlords can leave reviews about Ooh. each other and research each other. Because as I'm sure David will, will you know, uh, agree, prevention is better than cure. Mm. If we can, you know, if we can uh, put transparency into the rental industry and you as a tenant think, well, and, and you know, uh, you as a tenant think, I want to rent from this person. Let me just check if anyone's left a review about them mm. and there's nothing but good words, then you, you know you've limited your risk. Uh, what's um, your platform called again, Mike? It's called Badress, so okay. it comes from Bad Address. So uh-huh. Address with a B in front of it, very clever. <laughs> and uh, it's just badress.co.za, and it's been up and running for a month, uh, well, two months, sorry, so I say July. Yeah. And at the moment, we're collecting reviews from people. We've had some reviews come in, and they've been interesting to read. Um, there's some strange stuff happening out there. <laughs> and yeah, we, what we wanted to do was level the playing field, because now, you know, now we're landlords. Yeah. The whole industry seems to be um, geared towards protecting landlords from bad tenants. And we've had bad tenants, too. Absolutely. You know, um, but there there doesn't seem to be any industry push to protect tenants from landlords. Um, 
Mike, so we have we have to yeah. cut it there for this afternoon. Unfortunately, I have to go into a break, but uh, thank you for for that one. And we'll come back. Um, and I'll ask David in terms of recourse uh, where things go awry. Is are there avenues that tenants can explore in this regard? It's uh, just gone uh, twenty past uh, two o'clock on the full circle. You are listening to the full circle. Hi, what is the recourse when it's the landlord that is providing a damaged property? For example, water coming into electrics so they can't be used, a pool that doesn't work and is becoming problematic, decks that are faulty. What recourse does the tenant have because they don't have a deposit from the landlord, um, but they're paying a full rental for a property that should be up to spec? We are in conversation with David Olgavi Thompson, who is the director at STBB. And I was going to ask that, uh, in fact, uh, David, in terms of, you know, we, we talk about normal wear and tear, and sometimes landlords are even reluctant to concede to that. Uh, you know, they'll find all kinds of excuses and ways to circumvent either fixing things or acknowledging things. And it just becomes a roll on effect. And it sounds as though from our last voice note that they really have it bad at that property. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is one of the biggest things um, that that we find um, in, 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 lease, in the leasing space is the rights and obligations of the landlord and the rights and obligations of the tenant. Mm. Who's responsible for what? Now, that takes me back to my earlier comment where I said that it, it, it might not be a legal requirement to reduce a residential lease to writing, mm. but it's certainly something that I would advise the parties to do. Because as soon as you reduce the, the agreement to writing, you can then you're then free to sort of record you know, what is the landlord going to be responsible for and what is the tenant going to be responsible for? Mm. And once it's spelt out that, you know, not only does that give clarity um, to the contracting parties as to, you know, what's expected of them, but it creates a bit of certainty in the relationship as well. Um, so it, it very much depends to, to sort of answer the, the previous caller's uh, question about the pool and maintenance and so forth and so on. Mm. The, the starting point is really the agreement. So it would, be, it would be very much dependent on what the parties have agreed at the commencement of the lease. Mm. You know, you, you might find that there are situations where a, a tenant looks at a property it might not be in perfect condition, but you know the, the tenant is, is is desperate, and they say, you know what, I'll take the property in the condition that it's that it's in. Let's say for a reduced rental, you mm-hmm. know, and then the parties are are free to make that bargain. Um, but then it must be very clear that the, you know this is the condition that I've that I've rented the property in, mm. and the landlord isn't going to be responsible to fix A, B, C, and D because the, this is how you've accepted it. Mm. Um, but just generally speaking. Obviously, it, it can it can change from case to case and from lease to lease. So it needs to be looked at on specific circumstances. But just generally speaking, some of the duties of the, the lessor or the landlord mm. is obviously one of the biggest duties is to provide the property to the tenant. Um, and the tenant must then be allowed to use the property un- in an undisturbed manner. So the, the landlord mustn't interfere with with the tenant's occupation of the property so it's free and undisturbed use and occupation of the property 
uh, and the property must be delivered to the to the tenant. Mm. One of the other big obligations um, of a of a landlord is is to is to make sure that the the property is fit for purpose. Um, so, in the context of a residential property, this means that the property must be f- at least fit for human habitation. Mm. So, you know, there must be running water, there must be an electrical current, um, uh, so forth and so on. You know, the, the, the toilet facilities need to work and those kinds of things. I mean, those are the basics that, that I would expect from, from, from a lease. Mm, mm. Um, and then the other, the other big duty of, of a landlord would, would be to maintain the property in a proper condition. But, you know, th- this is one of those things that can be changed by agreement. So, so, so what I'm saying now is very much a general standpoint. Um, but unless the parties agree otherwise, the, the you know the landlord would would be obliged to maintain uh, the property in in that condition, in a, in a habitable condition, at the very least. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's yeah. Uh, take a quick pause here, and then I, I want to come back and I, I want to get into perhaps some of the recourse that is available for tenants that might be finding themselves in a sticky situation. Zero eight six triple zero twenty thirty two is the number that you can call on if you'd like to share your experiences as a tenant a renting, um, or zero six one four one zero four one. That's our WhatsApp line. If uh, you'd like to send us a voice note over there, it's just gone half past two. You are listening to Bridget Masinga on SAFM. Hi, this is Daniel Joshua telling with another question. Is it legal for the landlord to have a key and come and inspect the premises you have rented when you are not there? Is it legal? Thank you and God bless you. Did I hear correct? Is it legal for the landlord to have a key? That that sounds to me like it should be illegal. <laughs> no, Bridget, it's it's perfectly legal for really? for a landlord um, to to have a key to his his own premises. I mean, he is the owner at, at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but but what is not permitted uh, in terms of a lease, and and this goes back to one of the pre, you know, one of the first contractual or general obligations mm-hmm. um, that a landlord has. And, and that is to provide the, the, the premises to the, the tenant in a free and undisturbed manner. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you can't have a situation where the landlord is coming willy-nilly free access to, to the property at all times of any day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's certainly not, that's certainly not what, what, what should be going on. Um, what what is permissible, however, is for the landlord to give the tenant a reasonable notice of access mm-hmm. uh, that the, that the landlord intends to have access to the property, and, and that could be for a number of reasons. That that could be for the purposes of affecting um, maintenance or repairs to the property, mm. uh, to the to the extent that the landlord is responsible for for whatever needs to be done, or for the purpose of showing the property to a potential purchaser, mm-hmm. um, that that's perfectly permissible. And also, you know, if, if the lease is coming to an end uh, and the tenant and the landlord haven't agreed to renew the lease, of course, the landlord needs to show the property to prospective tenants. Mm. So, so there there are situations or circumstances w- um, where a, a landlord must or, or may have access to a property, uh, but certainly that should be on reasonable notice to the tenant. Um, and it, it must be it must be done in such a way 
that it doesn't interfere with the tenants. Um, you know, it, it's their home. It, you yeah. know, it, it mustn't interfere with the undisturbed use and occupation of the premises. Absolutely. Can you imagine? Here you are having a Saturday bright for the Springboks, <laughs> and then willy nilly, <laughs> in comes Walking David. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we are in conversation with David Ogilvy uh, Thompson. He's the director at uh, STBB, and we're talking around um, uh, the relationship around Lisa and Lisor, and of course uh, some of the issues and challenges that might arise from there if you happen to be a tenant uh, renting or perhaps even you are a landlord and you're experiencing uh, some uh, issues with your tenants. Uh, David, let's look at some of the recourse in these situations, right? Because this is also, it's a, it can be a very personal relationship. You know, you, you find a home, you find an apartment, you like it, it's situated close to your children's school. It just makes sense. Um, and then you happen to hit some kind of hurdle with your landlord, and but you still want to stay, but you still need things resolved. So what recourse does one have in these situations? Of course. So let, let me perhaps start by saying the following. Um, y- y- I often get asked the question, you know, can the landlord change my locks? Can the landlord kick me out? You know, mm. or, y- can the landlord force me to get out of the property X, Y, and Z, whatever the case is? Mm. So the answer to that from a very, very general perspective is, is a very short no. Mm. Um, there, there's, there's legislation in South African law that, that prevents um, anybody taking the law into their own hands. Uh, and, and specifically with regards to what's informally referred to as the Pie Act, mm. uh, you, you can't have situations where landlords are just e- evicting people without a court order. Yeah, you, you you need a court order to to have someone evicted from from their home. Uh, that's that's sort of the the high water mark of that argument. Mm. So, barring that, when it comes to disputes between tenant and landlord, once again, your your guiding light must be the agreement that you've concluded between the parties. Mm. Your lease agreement will more than likely obviously set out rights and obligations and then what happens if those rights and obligations aren't adhered to. You know, then, then the parties need to say, okay, well, you know, you, you haven't done this. I, I now need to do something to force you to do it. Mm. And and generally speaking, you can find the answers in the agreement. But when it comes to taking a step forward and an extra step in, in the dispute resolution process, mm. There's, there's two ways that you can really go about it. There's, of course, the Rental Housing Tribunal, um, and e- every province has a, has a Rental Housing Tribunal that's mm. established for this, this exact reason. It's, uh, it's, to, it's to the intention behind the Rental Housing Tribunal is to informally uh, and cost-effectively try to resolve disputes between landlords and tenants. Um, and I'm sure if anyone just Googles the Rental Housing Tribunal, you'll be able to find an office that's that's relatively close to where you stay. Um, the other more sort of aggressive, if I can say it like that, and, and probably more costly procedure would be to approach a court, mm. a court of law. So a magistrate's court or a high court or whatever the case may be to enforce your rights um, as a landlord or a tenant. Mm, mm. I, I mean, I, I would figure if we've gotten to the point of court, especially if, let, let's say you are a tenant and perhaps there's issues and whether it's maintenance issues, whether at that point the relationship has reached a, a point of no return. I would then, unless there's a point to be proven there, as our first caller Mike indicated, but I just mm. say cut your losses and move on to the next one. 
A- absolutely. I mean, ideally, you know, if the relationship has soured to that point, it, it would probably be best for the parties to sever their relationship and move on. Mm. But, you know, Bridget, sometimes it's not that easy. You know, you, you, you've got a home and like you said, that home might be close to schools, to work, etc., etc. Mm. Now to go and find an equivalent home somewhere else might not be that easy. You know, so sometimes people have a situation where, you know, they want to move, but they can't. Mm. Uh, you know, then they have to put up with, with this this unruly tenant or, or, or landlord or whatever the case may be. Th- th- then you need to look at your options. You need to say, okay, well, I can't move. I, I, I'm close to home. I'm close to school. My kids walk to school. If I move, they have to drive to school or catch a bus or a taxi. Mm. It's not ideal. So sometimes you need to know, okay, well, I can't move. Now I need to now I need to protect my rights, mm. and that I think that's where it comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And as we wrap up, just uh, by way of your parting shots, um, I know you, you you've literally reiterated a few times that the lease agreement is our first point of entry. What should be some of the things that perhaps we should be looking out for in that agreement? Because I think sometimes we take it for granted. You know, there's some people will send you a one pager. Some people will send you four pages. Um, And Mm. I think a lot of us take for granted what should be part of the standard lease agreement um, in as far Mm. as rights and obligations. Sure, that's that's a it's a great point, uh, and and I'm and I think what what if if I can maybe just summarize it on mm. a, on a high level. First thing, first port of call. My advice: always reduce the agreement to writing. Okay, mm. once that's done, do your due diligence. Check the area. Check the complex you're 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 wanting to rent in. Mm. You know, if it's a sectional title scheme or if it's a if it's a homeowners association. Ask for the conduct rules mm-hmm. of the particular scheme so that you know, you know, not only is, is my relationship going to be governed by the landlord-tenant lease, but perhaps also a sectional title body corporate rules or homeowners association rules. Mm. Familiarize yourself with those rules. Maybe they, maybe they don't allow for pets, something like that. Mm. So do that. Familiarize with yourself with the rules. And then in your agreement, I would advise always make sure that you understand the different parties' rights and obligations. Mm. What is the landlord responsible for? What is the tenant responsible for? Especially when it comes to maintenance, things that break, mm. who's going to repair it? Who's going to be responsible for it? Mm. Um, you need, you need, you, and, and one of the biggest things that helps in that regard, um, just with regards to maintenance and fixing and all these kinds of things, do an ingoing inspection when you before you move in. Do an ingoing inspection with the landlord. Do an outgoing inspection with a landlord because then you have something to reference and to say, look, when I moved into the property, this was the condition of the property. When I left the property, compare it to that. And mm. then that also helps with determining what the, the what the deposit is going to be used for. So mm. those are the things, uh, just briefly, that I would you know ask people just to look out for. Yeah, and when you talk about that ingoing inspection, uh, I, mm. I did say that we're going to wrap it up, but when you talk about that ingoing inspection, a lot of people do not do it. The the snag yeah. list and recording that snag list. Uh, people mm. go, no, I'll, I'll I'll do it within the first thirty days, and you're like, mm. no, just do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> no, no, do it, guys. I promise you, it it resolves ninety percent of the maintenance type issues mm. when it comes to wanting to get that deposit back. Because I can promise you now, 
if you don't have a starting point, it's and, and this is particularly for landlords, if you don't have a starting point as to the condition of the property, it's very going it's very it's going to be very difficult to prove what the end condition was versus the start condition if you don't have a starting condition. Absolutely. So do the ingoing inspection with the landlord or the agent. Do the outgoing inspection with the landlord or the agent. Trust me, it will save you ton of headaches. Absolutely. David, I appreciate the time with you this afternoon. Uh, that was uh, David Ogilvie Thompson, director at uh, STBB, uh, helping us better understand our relationship between landlord and tenant and of course, all of those rights and obligations. Legally speaking, this podcast has come to an end. Thanks for joining the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing, visit us at stbb.co.za for more info.